0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the first proper episode of Tumult. Oh my God, I'm so excited to share to share this with you. Really, um, it's been it's been a long time since I actually wanted to publish, record well, first record, <laughs> publish, um, talk to incredible people, and actually put in the work for Tumult. I'm so passionate about this project and I'm so happy that my good friend Bogna recorded the first episode with me. So I hope, I really hope you're going to enjoy it. I just want to say some things um, before we get into the very interesting topic of how climate change affects international security. Hell yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, I just want to say thank you so much, Bogna. It meant a lot to me that you said yes to my very shy request and that you took the time just before Christmas to um, record this episode with me. As you will hear, um, in the first 10 minutes, there is a lot of background noise and it is because there is a couple of students outside the room that we were recording in. So please bear with me. It's going to get so much better after that (laughs) um and the audio quality is gonna be just fine and yeah um i was really 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 excited about this topic um we're talking about climate change how it affects countries at the moment we're gonna present you some case studies of african countries pacific island countries and give you a little bit of a insights into the life of a international relations student uh, if you want to get into that field um, this is also something i want to do with tumult i want to introduce people to different um, paths and different fields of interest so yeah if you're interested in that if you want to learn more about it i really hope you stick around and i hope you enjoy this episode and the ones to come because there's gonna be some more coming your way and yeah thank you Bogna again and thank you for listening and let's get into it the presentation about how climate change affects international security and i was really like it's we already talked a little bit about it it was not like it's not recent but it's very like very important very urgent yeah Yeah. and um i was really fascinated by like i feel like if you're in the field you probably know a lot about it but if you're not in the field I don't think it's like very well reported or at least it's like a scandal and then it's like dropped.
1: It's really not because the media, media show you only a small piece of what's going on but they don't really explain anything so if you're not into the topic yeah. you have to read a lot or dig a lot to get some more specific information yeah. and through media you get really the surface of the problem. So that's the biggest problem I would say. Different
0: domains in climate change affect different countries. So mm-hmm. I think for everybody listening, it would be great if you like would define what in, in terms of international relations, what do we see as security? Like what is security for for us? Because everyone has a little bit of their own definition as you noticed when you yes. asked everybody. Yes. But what what does it mean?
1: If we start we usually define it as a Really, as, as basically lack of threats, but according to international relations it's um, more connected to the lack of threats to the state's um, survival, yeah. and traditionally it was perceived as a just lack of like, military threats, because the function of the state was so basic just to provide the basic needs of the survival of the state and um, yeah but then we had the 20th century when all the things changed because we had two world wars and the perception of of how we should live our lives and how the state should function from on daily basis really changed and so it turned out that governments are not responsible only for providing the physical survival of the states. It's also responsible right now for providing possibilities for development, for for people, for economy, for education, culture and all of that important stuff. Um, and so the perception of security changes as well. And we have so many fields in which governments uh, take action right now to um, give us opportunities to, to, to develop and grow and learn. Um, but still, the military security, this really hardcore part, it stays there because you never know what can happen. Yeah. Like obviously, we we wish that everything will be fine, but you never know. Yeah. So that's still very
0: important. And um, yeah. and do you think the military, as you just said, it's a little bit of a swerve from what we're going to talk about? But since so many European countries are like not uh, financing their military as they used to do you think in terms of that issue that we're going to talk about do you think that's going to be a problem
1: mm, i don't know because it depends obviously what will happen in the future you can't yeah. really fight climate change with the army because <laughs> definitely not, that's not the way but the consequences may be Really different, so yeah. you, don't, you never know, because as we'll probably talk later, there are like, conflicts happening all around the world when the military action has to be taken, because that's, that's obviously the last step you want, to, you want to take, but but sometimes it's necessary, yeah. so yeah. that's also very important.
0: Yeah, and so when we think about climate change, we mainly think about like water, like water is an issue, there's too much water, right? Like, that's what generally is like, oh, f- things that, like countries are getting flooded. Um, but what are other domains that we are, like in climate change, that affect us?
1: Um, I mean, it's all connected, you, we, during our classes, we did this kind of loose division, but it's not really, um, you can do it however you want. And it's all connected to like too much water, but also too little water. It's also connected to um, natural catastrophes, um, like fires, hurricanes, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but also when we think about like too much water, for example sea level rising, in one part of the world the problem is like there is too much of it and in other part of the world that it's too little or it's not regular. So all of those things are interconnected, I would say. So it's water but it's also lack of water, it's strong winds, it's fires. Yeah,
0: Yeah. but in the case like you um, showed us a couple of case studies and in the example of ethiopia and egypt what is the problem i i feel like i don't know much about it and i didn't hear a lot about it in media that i consume so maybe that's really interesting
1: basically like africa is a place where the water issue is really important because there, are like there's a huge desert and so people are really dependent of even the smallest amount of amounts of water so if you have the sources for drinkable water everyone wants to get the Uh, means to use it and so with the Nile River which is very important for all the countries that it goes through like Ethiopia and like Egypt Mm -hmm. Um, if someone else has tried to control the flow of the water in one country the other country is super affected by that because the agriculture relies on that the living of people relies on that the economy the tourist industry as well like everything Mm, so the Ethiopia, because they have really problems with like uh, irrigation and stuff like that, they try to build a dam to what contain. Irrigation? Um, when you want to um, redistribute water into like fields to fertilize your land and f- basically for agri- agriculture. Mm-hmm. Mm, so since they have this problem with, with that, they wanted to build a dam on one like part of Nile because in that area it's uh, it's consisted of two like Uh, two rivers two rivers yeah Ah, okay yeah Yeah. so they wanted to build a dam on one but since uh, it's such important uh, source of water for Egypt when they started to um, make changes in the flow of the of the river uh, it got really dangerous for people living there so there have been a lot of tensions between those two countries and now the um, building of the time, um stopped for a while and they're trying to reach an agreement with between, between the two countries. But we don't really know what will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. I hope they somehow manage to uh, get to like compromise. Yeah. But we're gonna see, there is no solution for so us right now.
0: So at the moment there's still, like, there has been no changes to that issue. Like, that would mean that Ethiopia is lacking water. That yes. They really need. Yes. And Egypt, what is their situation?
1: Uh, if it stays the same as it was before, so without the dam and yeah. like the normal flow of the river, they are. I mean, they are. They've been there for thousands of years. They know how to deal with like um, shortages of water in some periods of time. But since the climate change is getting more of an important issue those changes are getting more irregular and more uh, drastic Mm -hmm. so i mean since i'm not the expert on any particular deep consequences i don't really know but you can guess that since water is one primary source of your existence (laughs) if you try to play with that then there are consequences for everyone around yes so they really have to reach an agreement with that because obviously Ethiopia needs the source of water, but also Egypt needs that as well. And it's the same source because it's the same river. So that's going to be very difficult for the both of them.
0: Do you think that their governments, like the states see it as a climate change issue or they'd like to put it on the political and like geog- geography, like, do, do you think they see that as a as a rising issue of climate change?
1: I think they see, because it's such a difficult thing not to see, since everyone's talking about that. But it's much easier if you turn the climate issue into political problems, because then you convince your voters, your electorate, that you are right and the other guy is wrong. And you're really simplifying the problem then. And as for normal people who don't really have the specific like scientific knowledge in the field, they don't really care. They just want their lives to be normal and they don't care about issues in other countries because if you have problems on your own, you're not gonna want to
0: solve problems of others. And that's the problem because you I remember that you also mentioned like a map from the like areas in the world that are most affected or most likely to be affected by climate change? Like, uh, I think it's called fragility hotspots, yes. what like, what are they, like, what are the main um, parts of the world that really, really will be affected if nothing changes or are already affected? I mean, are.
1: So it's not, like you said in the beginning, it's not a recent issue, so they are already affected. Yeah. Mm, and the answer is, like, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's really scary because everyone we in Europe don't really see it that much because we live in really developed societies and we have means to deal with big problems yeah. uh, by other but other countries they don't because they have bigger issues or they have um, a lot of them mm-hmm. so uh, yeah but but everyone so, Africa is probably like the, thi- the place you think about the, in the first place because there are a lot of tensions from all the fields like politics, economy, social, ethnical, um, environmental as well um, and if they all uh, connect with each other the problems are getting bigger and bigger so Africa is the place that you think about in the first place but also Asia. There are so many people living there, millions of people, and so if one area is affected, it means that several millions of people are affected, and that's going to create even more problems. But Europe as well, we pretend that nothing's, no, nothing's changing because our lives seem to be normal as always, but we will have issues as well. Yes. And so if we don't take action on that, then the consequences will be really scary.
0: And th- that is a very, like, what I'm saying is like a speculation. But do you think, because we see, like, Europe and the U.S. as the ones that, like, have to start making the changes because they're the most prosperous ones, wealthy ones. But do you think as soon it, it has to take a serious climate change um, consequence for these countries to act? Do you think it will become that? or
1: I hope not. I really hope not because if we have serious consequences it means that it's too late yes. so <laughs> it's better to to fight with symptoms than to fight with the actual disease, disease. Yes. Uh, so so I hope not but looking at what's going on around the world it's difficult to say because, as I said before, the problem is getting more political, mm-hmm. and if it gets political, it's really difficult to reach an agreement between parties. Mm. Um, but they really need to take an action, especially because um, obviously not only Europe or United States or countries like that are the main cause for for the problems, but they are the ones that they've been developing for the longest period of time in history and they should lead other countries into the solution because they are the ones who were first to really cause problems so i think they should be also the first to 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 give the solutions and also i think because we obviously can't forget about um society we also are able to make a change it's not like only the governments can make a change so I think it's all our combined effort, yeah. because we as a society also have um, influence on like, big companies and governments. We as a consumers can make huge changes and decisions for that. Um, but also I think the problem is on such a big scale right now that everyone should get involved into, into finding a solution and to fighting with a problem. Yeah. But but in
0: this case, do you think it's um, mainly a government issue rather than a big corporation issue?
1: I think it's everyone's issue. Because government sets the rules and laws for the corporations, but since corporations today are so big and international and so interconnected, that they also have a huge influence over governments. So it's both of the action that's going to be taken. To do something about this,
0: yeah. And what we heard um, in the presentation was that um, I don't want to draw like the immediate comparison with Netherlands and Bangladesh, but um, what is happening in Bangladesh, like, and in the Pacific Islands, like, what is like the the too much water issue? Like, these are examples of there's too much water. What are we doing? Yeah. What is happening there? So
1: <clears throat> basically, since uh, the General temperature of the like world is rising up. Uh, the ice caps are melting, and all our ice like sources. So the level of the seas mm-hmm. uh, are rising, and so for the lands who are really low mm, positioned, yeah. if the sea level is rising, it's it's flooding the the land on which people live and they, um, you know, cultivate the land. Uh, but also because of the temperature, the normal um, weather conditions are changing, they are getting more severe and more radical. So all of that it's combining together and for countries like ba- Bangladesh, all of those islands countries um, throughout all of the oceans, mm-hmm. it's First of all the land is getting flooded, so people have to flee their homes. they have to leave their houses to move to another places. Uh, the land is getting um, soized. So I don't remember the exact word for that, but mm-hmm. yeah, so it's impossible to c- cultivate your land because the crops won't grow properly on that. So even if you can stay uh, in your hometown or your area, it's really really difficult to work on the land, and since that um, can part of uh, Asia, especially Bangladesh, it's really it was a really fertile land for cultivating and producing food for all the other countries around and also for themselves as well. If they can do that, the people are hurting, the economy is hurting. They have to flee their homes, they have to move. Uh, And it's millions of people at the same time because that's the area where a lot a lot of people live right now. So they have to move and then the governments have to help those people all at once and they don't really have a means to help millions of people at the same time. Mm -hmm. So all the issues are getting more and more... um, I mean, consequences are getting bigger and bigger and with all the previous issues that were already there, because like, we know that those countries are trying to uh, develop themselves even more and to grow their economy. But if they have issues like that, they have to focus on them, not the other aspects of their uh, development. So it's like vicious cycle of not getting out of it, because you want to change one thing, but you can't because you have to deal with another at the same time.
0: You already have to deal with the consequence while you should fight the cause. Yes,
1: and with the countries like island countries on the sea, it's really small places where maybe not that much people live, but still they live there and their islands are actually sinking. So they will have to move to other countries because those countries will cease to exist. And who will take them? Because mass immigration—it is a problem for other countries. Not because it can be dangerous, as in terms of people having like their own dangerous agenda. It's not because of that. It's because a lot of people at the same time want to move to one place, and it's really di- difficult to help them all at once. Yes. And obviously, there can be like political, ethnic, or religion tensions. You You can't force people to live peacefully in one place from one day to another. They have to accept each other first. And there is no time for that. Mm -hmm. So I think the consequences will be even bigger in the future.
0: And do you think that since people are still a little bit blind to climate refugees, that, like, I mean, the issue of refugees and the struggles they face is like a whole other topic, but do you think that people in the receiving country will be even more you know, hard on climate refugees, because they don't see the cause, because they are not maybe as informed about the climate issues than about the political issues.
1: Probably, yes, because it's easier to tell people that uh, okay, we can solve the problem by not letting people in, and so our country is safe, apparently. But it's really not, because climate affects all of us, you can't stop it at the border. You can stop people, but you can't stop the climate. Yeah. Oh my God. So this this is really difficult topic, and this is really urgent issue right now. When we tend to fight over who's right and who's wrong, but really we should focus on other things. But at the same time, we can't really only focus on dealing with climate change because we can't stop our development as well you can go back in times you have to remember that we live in uh, societies as they are today
0: and they and you can't take take that from people no they're gonna reject and refuse that yes Yes. and as you just said it's like I feel like a lot of people are in different phases of their awareness what is going on Uh, there's some people who who even don't believe in it you know there's people who are already like making legislations trying and fight for the cause but in the case of bangladesh like uh, as a country that has a lot of economic issues do you think that it is realistic for them to start building like technologies like they like we have in some european countries like in the Netherlands that is below sea level do you think it's actually an option for them or you have to find solutions suited for specific countries and their economic situation
1: i mean i don't know because i'm not a technical expert yeah, on stuff like that but probably every situation is a little bit different so you have to adapt to the needs of the country in this particular area um because like you said, Netherlands they have problems because they are under below the sea level. But they've been like that already for a couple of years, so couple of years for a lot part of their history actually. Yeah. So they they kind of know how to deal with that. Obviously mm-hmm. the problem can get bigger and bigger, but they have means and they have technology mm-hmm. and they can work on that. And also they are not that big of a country. So yeah. you, you don't have to pro protect such a huge area and with Bangladesh it's a huge country and so the technical means have to be obviously different because it has to be done on a much bigger scale yes. so I don't know if it's possible to use the same technical stuff to, to help yeah. them, probably not but also the climate there is different so it's not only the sea level rising it's all, all also the monsoon rains and you can't stop that really yeah. so, so I, I don't know they have basically. a
0: whole different situation yeah. and as you mentioned there is like climate can be the cause of an issue but also the tipping point yes. when there are already like different crises going on um, do you think the Darfur is an example of that, of the tipping point? Or Darfur is an
1: example of
0: cause and an context about Darfur. Yeah,
1: so basically to make the story really simplified mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to remember that it is really simplified. Uh, we had conflict between ethnical groups between like um, Catholics and um, Arabs in uh, in that area, and um, the conflict has been there for many many years. But um, one group had to flee their homes, so because they were looking for land to live on, because there were drafts and stuff like that happening, so they were looking for a new home. And then the the two two groups met and they couldn't really find like compromise to live with each other because it was really difficult and also because of other issues happening there like political instability governments which are not really that strong and and people who i think they don't really want to work for the benefit of a society but more for their own Mm. So and also other external parties wanting to get the resources of that area of Africa, natural resources, so people started to migrate, the conflict developed even more uh, because they were looking for land to, to create their new homes and then the climate change got more and more intensive and so um, Again, the migration was getting bigger and bigger, so the war happened. And because of war, because of war, another migration happened, because people came to look for a new home, but they couldn't find it, so they had to leave again. And so the tension in this area is really big, and there is no sor- solution as for right now, how we can help those people. Because there are so many issues, like I said, politics, economy, climate ethnicity, religion you can solve everything all at once and especially if the governments don't have means and don't have the will to act then we don't have a solution for that right now and it's a really difficult topic because obviously we want to help those people but at the same time we as Europeans we live in a kind of secure place and you can't live your daily life thinking about everyone else around the world because you're gonna go crazy at some point because you can't help everyone so the problem is there and the problem will be getting bigger and bigger
0: but do you think that uh, climate change and i feel like for a long time this is an issue that really a lot of people get involved in do you think since a lot of people mobilize that actually there is a greater chance that we like we will have the feeling that we can help because often in political or international relations topic we're like okay this is a government this is a state thing but maybe now it would be like really really important that we step up because there's already a platform for us to step up
1: I think so I think so because um, people are getting more aware of the problem even if they don't know the specifics and how complicated the issue is it's good that people are interested in the topic and they want to make a change even the smallest one are are good because every action is important and obviously governments have to cooperate with each other because the problem is so big that one single action can change much but if we combine all the small actions all around the world that I think we can make a change and it's important that we have the activists right now who raise their voice and want to spread the message to other people and if you do the smallest things in your life like stop using single plastic containers or plastic straws it may seem stupid but If you do the smallest steps, then maybe in the future you can take bigger and bigger and you can convince your family and friends. And so if we start thinking about that, then we can influence the governments, the companies. And I guess eventually someone will... I mean, they already realize that we have a problem and there are actions taken. But it's really difficult to convince everyone that they have to act together. But maybe if we all as a society and individuals try
0: to change something, then it will help. And is that issue like what we um, heard with Egypt and Ethiopia and Darfur and Bangladesh, is that something that concerns the UN? Is there like a super government, super, no, what is it? an over-governmental
1: uh, in- <laughs> in international organization that's the one you're about, yeah
0: about? <laughs> i think so that actually like is responsible for that or sees itself responsible for that
1: i mean with the un it's um, they obviously care because it's not really an one organization focused on one topic it's like the network of different organizations and there are um, smaller organizations of or, or satellites that take care about other different issues so we have uh, human rights uh, like section we have environmental section we have fighting with poverty section we have like educational part everything but the main hardcore point of the un is maintaining like Peace and stability all around the world, mm-hmm. but since the climate change can be the cause and a consequence mm-hmm. of many things, the UN really cares about that. But since it's um, organization, voluntary organization of the states they can't really force anyone to act. They can give recommendations, they can try to organize meetings to give a platform for exchanging ideas, to trying to reach um, new agreements, mm-hmm. but they can't really force anyone to act because it's the will of the individual states to, to do
0: that. Yeah, so they can also not really provide actual, let's say, help with like food supplies
1: they can, they and obviously they do, can, what? and they do in areas where where there are problems, mm-hmm. they do and and they do that a lot, but first of all, like I said, they can't um, force anyone to act. So firstly, the state, which is troubled at some particular um, for some particular reason, they have to agree for this help, mm-hmm. and sometimes the states don't really agree to get the help because. The UN wants to care about ordinary citizens and the governments don't at that point sometimes forget about ordinary citizens. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the UN cares and they do a lot and there are many, many um, different peacekeeping um, actions taken all around the world right now so more about like military action but also with providing food and medicines and like shelter for people and refugees yeah. so they are very active in this area obviously we can discuss if it's effective or is it does it actually help in a long run but
0: yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, because at at the end they're fighting the consequence rather than the cause, yeah, right? Exactly. And what um, what just like that is a very recent happening like last week there was a new legislation at least for Europe. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: So basically uh, Europe uh, European Union has uh, agreed for um, reaching the target of carbon neutrality. Uh, what to, does that
0: mean for people who don't know what that means?
1: Our economies are, are based on um, sources of energy which are carbon-based mm-hmm. like um, oil fuel, on yeah. f- fossil fuels, so like oil, gas and coal. And we need those fuels for our energy to grow and develop.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but those fuels are also cause for like greenhouse gases in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and that also is acting um, for raising the temperature of the atmosphere in general so the goal is to minimize that mm-hmm. so take different actions to use maybe less of those fossil fossil fuels and focus more on some other sources of energy like renewable energy Mm -hmm. like wind or sun or water or even nuclear energy because um, we know for a fact that it's really effective and it's really um, except for maybe the Waste from those from those energy plants. It's really um, environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal is to make our uh, industry less uh, dangerous for the environment and to reduce the um, carbon production into the atmosphere. And I guess European Union wants to be neutral in that area so um, I didn't really read the document yet but uh, probably it would be to uh, stop using like all of those heavy carbon-based fossil fuels in the future yeah. so as they say
0: by the 2050 2050 mm-hmm. that's still 30 years right that's
1: <laughs> still thirty years, so it's a lot of time yeah
0: do you think like I know that we don't have the scientific information on this but do you think they're a little bit like still postponing the crisis? Because I feel like 30 years, while it's still already happening, it seems a little bit too long. Or is that maybe just like me panicking? (laughs) I don't know.
1: (laughs) We have this report um, done by the UN that says that by the 2050, the temperature if we don't change anything and we function as we function today that the average temperature of the world will rise um on like three percent and that it will have severe consequences for everyone everywhere and so this 2050 it's this this, like deadline that someone said for us to take an action, but obviously 2050, it's too late already because then we will have a huge, huge, huge crisis. So we have to take action before that. But also, you can't change everything in one day. You have to give people time to adjust to the changes. And I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not the expert, so I don't know if it's too long or is it not enough. Mm, but also, reaching carbon neutrality and stop using fossil fuels, and we were dependent on that for like one, what, 150 years, 200 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. So you can't change economy in like a year or two, you have to adjust to that. And since humanity found out that you can use fossil fuels, we had huge development, like we had industrial revolution and all the other technological revolutions after that. Mm-hmm. So we're really de- dependent on that source of energy, and if we want to man- maintain our growth and development uh, with uh, but at the same time being eco friendly, mm. we have to give ourselves sometimes for that yes
0: because i don 't know if you have the information on it because I, I often hear, yeah, the technologies are already out there, like there's um, electronic cars, etc there's so much um, alternative energy produ- like production sources so it is just that we reject it but I think there is a lot of research to be done still right
1: I think that yeah maybe the technology is there but also the technology technology is very expensive so not everyone can afford that yeah. uh, in terms of, of countries will, who have problems with like wars even, or some economic troubles with unemployment or shortages of food or whatever. They won't spend money on electric cars or new sources of energy like, uh, I don't know, solar solar panels or whatever, when they have to keep up with the recent problems. Um, And also there are some technical issues like, I don't know, like rights for using those kind of energies. You have to pay a lot to be able to use that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to change your own economical production means to adjust to that and it's I guess it's a difficult process and also there are countries like Poland who (laughs) yeah that's a difficult topic uh, who don't really want to change because it will affect like average citizens and it's easier to tell those citizens that yeah we're gonna keep what we're doing right now because we care about you today right now but we really need to focus on the future because even if for next five years nothing will change and everything will be fine in 10 years maybe we will reach such a huge crisis that we can't go back from Mm, so
0: yeah that's (laughs) Poland. <laughs> that's Poland for you, yeah <laughs> what are you doing, Poland? no, but this is also just a speculation, so there's a lot of speculations on my side, but do you think that now like the like crazy demand um from like Europe and the West and basically every country to countries who have a lot of oil and gas and like fossil fuels that that also keeps a certain level of stability because we are reliant on, for example, countries like Saudi Arabia or countries that actually um, like, kind of oppose, for example, the American mindset, but they're very close to their country. So what if this reliance on oil would break up? Do you think that could also be... In- I
1: mean, that could also be the threat because countries like Saudi Arabia or in general the Gulf countries, yeah. their economy relies so heavily on export of fossil fuels and if they stop getting money from that area of the economy and their whole society is dependent on that it can create huge tensions in this area and since those countries are developed technologically and they are right now like Saudi Arabia is spending I think they are the first in the world in spending money on their army right now and developing um, more modern like welfare warfare, yeah uh, then if they have those kind of means and stop uh, earning money as they used to for past 50 years or something like that,
0: yeah.
1: they will obviously be very angry. <laughs> so you never know what can what they can do with that.
0: Yes.
1: So it's not it's not easy because you can't just from one day to another tell them like oh stop from from now on I don't need your oil.
0: Yeah.
1: And. I'm gonna turn to my solar panels and now you do with your own whatever you want, I don't need that.
0: Yeah. And then this is like a very dependent friendship they have basically. Yeah. So, And additionally to that, these are like countries that basically are based in a desert and with yeah. the climate changing, then they would even face like the climate yeah, uh, yeah, issues okay. as well. So it's like a really... Situation, but also freedom. we
1: have to remember that those countries, since they have a lot of money because of oil and that's uh, one of the most important uh, resources right now in the world, they actually start um, to work in a field of uh, environmental technologies and stuff like that mm. to, to create something more um, sustainable sustainable yeah Yeah. for for these societies because they they are they obviously not stupid people they know that the world is changing and they will have to adjust to that and since they have means they are trying to to work on on different solutions so i mean it's very it's very easy to look to the future with like negative perspective because there are many many problems but also there are many people who actually want to change something and they are working in this particular field so i think we should give them a chance to prove that they have ideas and they are good ideas yes and trust that that it will work for everybody else as well yes (laughs) Yes.
0: i really like would like to leave it on that positive note (laughs) because it's a very daunting issue like if you really go deep into it and like it, we didn't even get yeah, like super deep, but we scratched yes. on a lot of surfaces. It's, it can be very scary and very frustrating. Yes, I
1: guess uh, I guess it can, and it can even get super depressive at times yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you think a lot about that. But also, I I think we can't. We have to be po- posit- We have to think positively into the future because if you want to change something, you have to believe that you can change something. Yeah. So. With yes. positive thinking, you, only you can do that.
0: Yeah, and since you are in the field of international relations, so it's like a little bit of a personal note. Um, what, like, do you see yourself um, like professionally working on any of this, or where do you see your future? It doesn't have to be any of this, but I just, I'm very curious. So,
1: yeah, you know what, I'm probably the worst person to ask that because I'm the most confused person in the world about my future. <laughs> Uh, I'm super, I'm super interested in those kind of topics but um, also I don't feel like I'm uh, like educated enough in that area to to actually do something about that I think there obviously there are people who, who are more prepared to do something I would I always say that it's we should start with ourselves if we want to change something, we should start with ourselves. And so, for me, doing the small actions like I mentioned mentioned before, that is important. And maybe maybe trying to convince your friends and family. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I really would like to to think that maybe in the future I would like in a in a field that that's really important for for people generally, yeah. like. I I had this dream before that maybe in the future I will work for the UN, and that was the goal. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I guess
0: every student of international relations thought about that at some yeah. point. Heard it a couple of times, yeah. But like. What, what made you go into international relations actually?
1: Ah, that's a funny story because I never thought about that before. When I was in high school I didn't know what I would do with my future and then I decided that maybe I will go study medicine and be a doctor and maybe I will help people because that seems really cool. Um, but I didn't pass my final exams after school well enough to get into, into medicine because that's the hardest area of studies that you can get to. And so I decided that maybe for one year I would study something like connected to, to, to like medicine and biology and stuff like that. And then, then after a year I would try again. Mm. And so I started uh, medical biotechnology. What <laughs> <are you doing? laughs> yes, wow. and it was very interesting. It was very interesting because I never know that, never knew that there were areas that people worked on yeah. that are super scientific and super difficult but also they are very important for people for their everyday lives. Like developing new technologies for environment as well that's also that also can be a biotechnology but also like working on a new medicine working on new ways of um, growing crops or like animals on new ways of nutrition for people like all these things are super fascinating but also they are very scientific and you have to be very detailed with that Mm -hmm. and i'm just not that kind of person (laughs) i love to have a general knowledge about many things but when i get in, like deep deep into the topic I, yeah. I, it's get too complicated for me. and then I decided that international relations it's something that you have knowledge about the world that you live in and you have you get to know about like economy and politics but also cultures and people's and wave of way of lives and then they the, the food which which is also a part of, of, of our culture and I think it's very important. Yeah. and so that got really interesting for me yeah. because now after those studies I don't know what I will do with my future but I'm sure that I understand word a little bit more yes. and I know how to navigate myself in it not to be persuaded by, by media for example like I now can think for my own and analyze stuff that, that are going on, on around me yeah. and then my, take my own decisions on, on, different, on different topics so yeah. I think that's that's the most important thing that I got from my studies. <laughs>
0: that's so good. And now for real the last question I can't stop. <laughs> but do you have a tip for people who don't study in that field to maybe do something completely different and they want to reconnect or be connected to international issues and find like sources that they are like they're nuanced and they can actually like get their own opinion from it and not be presented with that is your opinion so this is what's true. Do you have any tips, like any platforms or any methods for, for these kinds I of people? I
1: would say that definitely don't reject the media because they are the source of information. You just have to know at what media you, you look for. So definitely like reliable news um, providers, like mm-hmm. those international companies, because obviously they are biased, but they provide you with some information. Yeah. So, so So start with that. And then if you're interested, start reading like articles, more like maybe newspapers, maybe magazines about, about the politics, about the economy. Mm-hmm. Obviously you don't have to read everything that you encounter on your, yeah. on your journey, yeah. but a little, little bit of, of, of anything, like what's, what's going on with different countries, what's um, like, I don't know nuclear area, or like mm-hmm. economics, or uh, the environment, then there are a lot of people like you <laughs> who try to, to I don't know, write blogs or, or um, do podcasts <laughs> and spread the message. I know because the topic, if you are interested in the topic, that's great, but yeah. getting other people interested in the topic, they, it can be difficult because from the outside perspective, it may seem boring.
0: Yeah, I think if if it's so abstract to you that you don't even know where to start yeah, exactly. and you say, yeah, I'm too, not even stupid, but I study something different. This is not my field of study. I think it's so important for everyone to know at least a little bit about that.
1: Yes, I think so. I, I think that international relations, especially, I didn't know about other countries, but especially in Poland, when I told my family and friends that I'm gonna drop biotechnology and I will go into international relations, they were like, what are you doing with your life? It doesn't make sense. What are you going to do later after you finish that? Because what's the future? There's no future. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that was the conversation. <laughs> yes. And and I mean, yes, I don't have like specific technical knowledge on any topic. I, I can't be a doctor or ar- architect or a lawyer or whatever. Mm, and yeah, and they are right. But also I understand the world and I can adjust to the changes a little bit more. So even mm-hmm. if I found some job in the future, uh it uh, and and then i will have to change it it will be easier for me because i will have a little bit of knowledge of everything like a little bit of law languages economics politics like social issues stuff like that so 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 that's nice and so i mean yeah, look for podcasts mm-hmm. listen to the radio there are a lot of radio stations who have their yes. like auditions on 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 the topics of yeah. international relations and stuff like that and so yeah I would start there and there are also like magazines that you can read I mean yeah. I think the best one but that I would recommend for people who have a little bit knowledge so you are you actually understand what you're reading but mm-hmm. also it's not that difficult so you don't have to be scared about that but there's this magazine called um, International Affairs okay. you can subscribe to that and also sometimes they post some free articles on their website oh, nice. and mm-hmm. In there they publish texts from really like professional academics and so you you know that the stuff that they say there it's actually reliable yeah, yeah
0: that's a great tip and I, I, I didn't hear about that yet
1: yeah if you have like for for example from university if, if you have access to different publications so you can search for them as well maybe yeah. you have access to that as well
0: yeah so it doesn't actually matter what you study you usually have a platform you can access with you're just being student yeah
1: if you actually take advantage advantage of that that you are you, you are being student for example if you study something connected to like hardcore science, I don't know, mm-hmm. chemistry, physics, what, what, or whatever, but you have access to resources and and um, like articles, journals, books, not only from your own area of, of studies, you have access to everything else as well at the same time. So I think for us as students right now, it's super easy to get information mm-hmm. if you're willing to look for it. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's the the condition, <laughs> right? Oh my god, thank you so much Fogner. That meant so much to me. I'm gonna cry. You
1: invited me
0: to No really like I, I think you're gonna do so many great things in your life. I already know it, really. I'm shaking, I'm so excited. This this was cool. It was so like you can talk, man. You can talk so like Naturally, uh, we talked for uh, an hour. Really, for fifty-five minutes. Wow. Hello again to everybody, and thank you so much for making it until the end of this episode. I really, genuinely hope that you enjoyed it, and I would love your feedback. Um, really, really love it. I would love it <laughs> on everything you just heard. You can find tumult on tumult podcast on instagram you can find tumult on anchor.fm slash tumult and there you will be redirected to five different platforms where you can listen to tumult Um, among them is spotify google podcasts and many more and i hope you will find the platform that you like the most in uh, to consume tumult and to the ones that made it to the end. I have some recommendations and some secret insights for you. Me and Bogna talked about um, certain media that would help you to get into international relations or generally inform yourself about the world. And one of the platforms she already described is called foreign affairs. I think she said international uh, affairs, but correct term, she corrected it later, is foreignaffairs.com, basically a collection of journals and in-depth analysis of current events. And another book is called Prisoners of Geography. Of course I'm gonna link everything and all the recommendations and all the essential information below and that's also what I will continue to do for the coming episodes. Uh, Another book called The Silk Roads. You can find all of them on Goodreads. Tumult is going to have its own Goodreads account. Um, Another one called World Order by Henry Kissinger. The Clash of Civilizations and the Remaking of World Order by Samuel Huntington, a very famous political scientist. And a little personal recommendation from me is the book called homo deus by juval noah harari Um, i'm not sure if i say that correctly but he is a israeli historian and his books are very very insightful very analytical but also immensely thought-provoking and i really enjoy reading and listening to his books if you just want to get a general basic knowledge about the world about humans about how things are run i think this is a great way to start that will not overwhelm you and bombard you with crazy information so yeah i really hope you enjoy let me know if you read any of them and i'm sending lots of love thank you so much for listening to tumult and i'll see you very soon